Hello, listener. We have established that world history is all a board game. The board is the globe or a map. The players are all the different societies, empires, tribes, nations, states. And depending on the time, different players are winning the game. What is winning the game? I talked about before. That all depends. Is like is winning we all kumbaya get along and everyone is happy playing or is winning dominating and what do you do when the player next to you gets that look in their eye and you're looking at them and you're like what are they up to and they roll out on a 12 they got two die and like, oh yeah. And they start building up their army and they're just looking at your border. And you're like, wait a second, what? What do you do? You're like, hold on, are we going to be cool? And they're like, yeah, for sure. No problem. Do you trust that? Or do you now need to dive into getting your hands dirty? And at what cost? In order to defend your own people, because you are a player in the game, but you represent hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people in your nation, society, empire, whatever. To what extent will you go? How far will you go? And what are the things you're willing to do to other players to ensure your own safety? Because right when you see the player next to you eyeing up your border and building up their armies, it's on. How far will you go? European nations have to answer this question, and what we're going to see is not pretty. Folks, it is imperialism, and it's Europe screwing over the world. Play the intro. From this distant vantage point, the Earth might not seem of any particular interest. But for us, it's different. Consider again that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you ever heard of, every human being who ever was, lived out their lives. is a very small stage in a vast cosmic arena. Imperialism. I'm like I'm not a major Star Wars fan. I would say like I have watched the movies and I'm like okay, I like the lightsaber battles in the what the early 2000s ones. Is it the imperial power? I don't know. The empire are practicing imperialism. What is imperialism? Well, it is a policy of extending a country's power and influence through diplomacy or military force. So essentially, becoming more powerful, playing the game, 
usually getting more money, which could be getting more territory, increasing your trade, whatever. Money could be power. Extending your power and influence through diplomacy. And that's like, hey, let's find the middle ground, shake hands, we got ourselves a deal. Or military force. Which is, I'm going to take that from you because there's nothing you can do about it. You can try. Good luck. Europe is going to practice imperialism. America will do it as well. Japan's going to do it. Once these nations industrialize, so just a little context. So industrialization, the Industrial Revolution occurs really in like, you could argue the late 1700s going into the 1800s. Certain societies are beginning to industrialize. They're shifting from an agricultural society where we just farm things, right? Like the farm to table, I think is the saying, to industrial societies where, yeah, we got farms, but like we're making stuff. And in order to make stuff, you need what? Stuff. Processing raw materials. Like this microphone I'm holding didn't, they don't grow a microphone out of the ground, right? It was manufactured in a factory. The materials came from somewhere. So all of these European countries who are beginning to industrialize, and we talked about why the Industrial Revolution happened in England, started in England, really, and then spread out to Europe. We're, we're going to skip to the mid to late 1800s now. So America had a civil war why slavery yes really the northern states began to industrialize and the southern states remained agricultural because they were cotton tobacco and they're making a heavy profit the government the south felt that the government was beginning to represent the north and not them they try to bounce abe's like hold up and then the whole war thing happens Right. Which, it is about slavery. If the South was saying the government wasn't recognizing their right to own slaves. And if the, the argument for that, it's like, yeah, I get it's not like literally just one thing, but let's be real. So, Europe experiences revolution in industry. Now, let's think of the board game. You are competing, realistically, even though everyone has potentially different objectives. Some, like Switzerland, could be like, we want to be kumbaya, just be neutral. Other areas could be like, we're trying to take over the world. But regardless, if you're trying to take over the world to be kumbaya, you still are competing just to stay, what? What were the two goals? To ensure your society currently functions and continues to function. If you are a nation who remains agricultural while the nations around you are beginning to industrialize, they are going to make bank. Why? Because when you industrialize, you make stuff and then you sell the stuff. So money is coming into your economy. Not only that, what else can you make? A whole lot of guns. And like mass produce, right? So industrialized nations are able to build up their army they're developing their wealth and you now have a choice do we want to 
change with this? Like, do we do we need to industrialize or are we just gonna be like, ah, you guys do that. Like we're pretty comfortable here because being too comfortable, that's nice. Like you are currently functioning, but you need to continue to function. And you're looking down the road and I'm looking at Germany and I'm looking at France and let's say I'm England and they are all becoming more powerful. I gotta get in the game. I need to make stuff and I need to sell stuff. And in order to make stuff, what do I need? Stuff. Where and how do I get that stuff? Well, let's think of diplomacy. I could trade for stuff or I could take it. If we're all living in the whole like kumbaya world, and when I say it, I mean like raw materials and resources. Let's say you're England. Look on a map. It's not that big. So they're limited on the number of stuff they have and the variety of stuff they have. So they got to get it from somewhere else. You could be kumbaya and trade. Well, we're going to see Europe doesn't do that. They collectively, like as Europe, but also it's made of a bunch of individual nations competing amongst one another, try to pretty much take over the world. Why? That's the point of this episode. So what we're going to do, I have a primary source. It is a speech given from Jules Ferry. He is, and this is in 1884. There's some context to that year, which we're going to talk about afterwards. This guy is the former twice prime minister of France, and he gives a speech It says, speech before the French Chamber of Deputies. He's giving his speech to his fellow countrymen, talking about the decision. How are we about to play this game? You are going to see or hear the word, words colonial expansion. Think of like colonies. The American colonies were under British rule. So Britain is its own island or a set of islands. The United Kingdom they also control the territory in the Americas. So the American colonies work for Britain. So you're going to see, they're talking about colonial expansion. In the 1800s, late 1800s, Europe post-industrial revolution, these European countries have to talk about colonial expansion. What are we doing? How are we playing the game? So I'm going to read the speech. I'm going to have like nice background noise as like chatter. I'm going to try to make you feel like you're there. I'm going to pretend to be Jules Ferry and not try to do like a French English accent because that would be offensive and terrible and annoying. I'd probably get like three sentences in and then shift back to just like my normal voice. I'm going to give this speech. What I want you to do, and this is like teacher stuff. You don't just give them a thing like read this and then give me your thoughts. What is Jules Ferry's stance on colonial expansion, a.k.a. imperialism, and why does he think that? What are the different motivators? So it's the what and the why. We're not talking about how. We're talking about what does he think and why does he think that? So I'm going to read the speech. You listen. Pretend like you're there. You got to recognize this is the late 1800s. It's a different time. Just think about, okay, 
Whether you agree with him or not, what is he saying? And why is he saying it? Here we go. Pause the music. Cue the crowd. <clears throat> Hello, this is Jules Ferry, and this is my speech. It is 1884. The policy of colonial expansion is a political and economic system that can be connected to three sets of ideas. Economic ideas, the most far-reaching ideas of civilization, and ideas of a political and patriot sort. In the area of economics, I am placing before you, with the support of some statistics, the considerations that justify the policy of colonial expansion as seen from the perspective of a need felt more and more urgently by the industrialized population of Europe and especially by the people of our rich and hardworking country of France. The need for outlets or exports. Is this a fantasy? Is this a concern that can wait for the future? Or is this not a pressing need, one may say a crying need, of our industrial population? I merely express in a general way that each one of you can see for himself in the various parts of France. What our major industries, textiles, etc., irrevocably steered by the treaties of 18601 into exports, lack more and more our outlets. Why? Because next door, Germany is setting up trade barriers. Because across the ocean, the United States of America have become protectionist, and extreme protectionist at that. Because not only are these great markets shrinking, becoming more and more difficult of access, but these great states are beginning to pour into our own market products not seen there before. This is true not only for our agriculture, which has been so sorely tried, and for which competition is no longer limited to the circle of large European states. Today, as you know, competition, the law of supply and demand, freedom of trade, the effects of speculation, all radiate in a circle that reaches to the ends of the earth. That is a great complication, a great economic difficulty, an extremely serious problem. It is so serious, gentlemen, so acute, that the least informed persons must already glimpse, foresee, and take precautions against the time when the great South American market that has, in a manner of speaking, belonged to us forever will be disputed and perhaps taken away from us by the North American products. Nothing is more serious. There can be no graver social problem, and these matters are linked intimately to colonial policy. Gentlemen, we must speak more loudly and more honestly. We must say openly that indeed the higher races have a right over the lower races. I repeat that the superior races have a right because they have a duty. They have a duty to civilize the inferior races. In the history of earlier centuries, these duties, gentlemen, have often been misunderstood. And certainly, when the Spanish soldiers and explorers introduced slavery into Central America, they did not fulfill their duty as men of a higher race. But, in our time, I maintain that European nations acquit themselves with generosity, with grandeur, and with sincerity of this superior civilizing duty. I say that French colonial policy the policy of colonial expansion, the policy that has taken us under the empire of Napoleon to Saigon to Indochina, that has led us to Tunisia, to Madagascar, 
I say that this policy of colonial expansion was inspired by the fact that a navy such as ours cannot do without safe harbors, defenses, supply centers on the high seas. Are you unaware of this? Look at a map of the world. Gentlemen, these are the considerations that merit the full attention of patriots. The conditions of naval warfare have greatly changed. At present, as you know, a warship, however perfect its design, cannot carry more than two weeks' supply of coal, and a vessel without coal is a wreck on the high seas, abandoned to the first occupier. Hence the need to have places of supply, shelters, ports for defense, and provisioning. And that is why we needed Tunisia. That is why we needed Saigon and Indochina. That is why we need Madagascar, and why we shall never leave them. Gentlemen, in Europe, such as it is today, in this competition of the many rivals we see rising up around us, some by military or naval improvements, others by their prodigious development of a constantly growing population, in a Europe, or rather in a universe thus constituted, a policy of withdrawal or abstention is simply the high road to decadence. In our time, Nations are great only through the activity they deploy. It is not by spreading the peaceable light of their institutions that they are great in the present day. Spreading light without acting, without taking part in the affairs of the world, keeping out all European alliances and seeing as a trap, an adventure, all expansion into Africa or the Orient, for a great nation to live this way, believe me, is to abdicate and, in less time than you may think, to sink from the first rank to the third and fourth. That is my speech. I was hoping for more thunderous applause, but that'll do. I mean, actually, I can't really say that because that was pretty racist, no? Not pretty. That was, like, totally racist. That is, like, the definition of, well, we'll call it social Darwinism, even though... I've seen that, like, that's not really professional academic people don't really identify social Darwinism as a thing. I don't know. What is Darwinism? It's like animals evolve. So Europeans at the time took that and applied that to humans. And then like, okay, well, let's look at us. And they're like, we are civilized humans. We have industrialized. We wear ties and top hats. And then look at people in Africa. And their <laughs> false conclusion was some humans have evolved further than others. And they therefore refer to them as superior races, as in, like, if there's a spectrum, and by the way, like, I, this most likely doesn't need to be said, but I'm going to say, I don't believe this. This is what they believed at the time. Like, if there's a spectrum going from, like, primate to homo sapien white Europeans and they like didn't even consider like Irish to be in that by the way like of the farther right they said like white Caucasians are further to the right and then like you got other humans that are closer to primates than like white people there's a spectrum of human evolution who is more evolved why is that important? I hope you caught that. And that's one of the reasons. The three reasons he really gave. Do we recall what, the, what they are? All the way in the beginning. 
He said there were economic reasons, social reasons, and then patriotic reasons, if you will. The social one is, gentlemen, we must speak more loudly and more honestly. We must say openly that the, indeed the higher races have a right over the lower races. Why? Because they have a duty to civilize the inferior races. They are going to bring civilization around the world. It is a duty of theirs. They're going to get the world caught up to them. I would go out on a limb and say, number one, you are not more evolved than like, that's not a thing. It's just like skin color is based off of essentially where you are at the, how close you are to the equator. Watch the Bill Nye video. It has nothing to do with intelligence or who's more evolved, but in their minds, I think it might be a way to justify because if it was just to do that, I don't know if that would necessarily, you would probably have like maybe missionaries going out there, which was happening, but this guy's like talking to the nation and he's essentially saying to the nation, we need to do this. Like this needs to be the direction we're going. If it was just to civilize, I don't think that would be enough. So what were the other two? And why? So the initial question was, what is his stance on colonial expansion? He's given the green light. And he's not just giving the green light. And like, it's probably a good idea. He's saying it's a crying need. And I understand I have the source in front of me. So like you listen to it. But what were his economic, social, and political or patriotic reasons. The social is we need to civilize. We have a duty and responsibility to civilize the uncivilized world. Okay. That just kind of seems like a moral justification, which is also based on on like extreme racism. I find the first one, the economic motivator to be the most important. What did he say? If you remember. Or just like generally, you don't need to remember the details. He said it's a pressing need. Why? Uh, Next door, Germany is setting up trade barriers. They're playing the game. Like this is what I mean where you're looking at the partner or the player next to you. And they're starting to make moves. You're like, hold up. They're restricting trade that benefits them. Or um, the United States of America have become protectionist. Like the United States is starting to, and he mentions like South America and that general area was for the most part ours, which isn't entirely true, but like there were areas there like Haiti among others that like there, he's like, we're going to lose that. That's probably a reality. Like the United States is starting to act in their own interest and starting to eye up North and South America. This is happening. And this was great. And this is the scale thing that I talked about. The how does industrialization impact time and space? The today, as you know, competition, the law of supply and demand, freedom of trade, the effects of speculation, all radiate in a circle that reaches to the ends of the earth. That is a great complication and extremely serious problem. A 
And he said these problems are linked to our colonial policy. So what does he mean? Every developing or industrializing nation, or at least most, Germany and if you look at a map of Africa post 1884, you will see most European nations are getting into colonial expansion. They were obviously doing it before. They, like America was based off of British colonies. But it's getting to a global scale in the sense of like the map has shrunk and you need to move. If you're France and you see Germany starting to like expand gain more colonies England's starting to gain more colonies and by gaining colonies you increase your influence and power and by increasing your influence and power it's difficult to for anyone else to resist you and it's easier for you to just start to make deals that benefit you even more like when you're on a mutual playing field with someone it's like a maybe a 50 50 maybe 45 55 deal yeah but once like let's say China gets so powerful they got you where they want you. And he's looking at this and saying, this is an economic problem. Like this, what he said, a crying need, an extremely serious problem. So you have a decision to make, player of the game. Let's say you're France. And if you know the history, like France and England haven't always gotten along. France and Germany don't get along. So you're looking at these people playing the game and they're becoming more powerful. And it's like, okay, do we go and like, do we play this? Because what does playing it mean? It means taking things from other people, from other players. You are becoming more powerful at the expense of other players. And we're going to dive into like how and what that looks like, but just big picture detail. I'm taking the territory that you once called yours is now mine and you work for me for my benefit. And I'm not really taking you or your people into consideration. You're just the ends, the means to an end for me to become more powerful. Now, why would you not do that? Probably the mindset of like, well, those are people too. And like empathy of like, well, we wouldn't want that happening to us. What's the problem with that? The whole, we're a superior race who needs to civilize. That's like a justification. In their mind, they're like, we're just taking this from like less human, like subhumans. They're idiots who don't know how to use the land anyway. So like, let's take it. Let's use it properly. And let's civilize them while we do it. Now, they're going to civilize usually through the whip. So we'll get into that one. So this is a, a true decision that these European countries had to make. And you could say, all right, well, like, I don't want to do that. That's not right. That's not okay. We're going to play the game right and we're going to play it fair. Okay. Good, for, like truly good for you. But Germany's getting stronger every day and they're eyeing up that border. And that means your people are going to potentially be killed, starve, like the standard of living is going to go down because you 
It's a doggy dog world. And if you don't do it, someone else is going to do it. And then if they are given the opportunity, they will stomp on you. Maybe. That's a big maybe. That's a very big maybe. Last one. He said there's an economic need. It's the competition. We have to remain competitive. The social one, realistically, I think the social one, it's not reason is like we don't care about anyone else. And they just say like, well, we're going to civilize them because it's our duty and responsibility. Blah. Stupid. Now, I say stupid. This is... Sonder, everyone has a an experience just as complex as my own. I can look at this now, it's the year 2021, and look at that and be like, that's not correct. What are the chances that just take me and place me, the whole nature nurture, at that time, raised up in that education system in Europe? There's a decent chance I agree with what they're saying. I'm like, yeah, like, of course. There were, not everyone did. I'd like to point that out. Not ever. Some people, like I saw other transcripts for the speech where people are like, hold up. You mean by like colonial expansion, like taking this stuff? And he's like, yeah, because we're the superior race. And then the last reason, he gives a little charge. Like this is a patriotic issue. Like, do you want, and it's what, the last few lines, really, and then I'll go the paragraph above. In He said, in less time that you think, if we don't do this, we're going to sink from first to third and fourth, and it's just going to get worse. So, like, are you trying to, do you want that? Like, And he, like, calls out their patriotism, essentially, saying, like, do you care about France? Do you care about our people? Because if you do, then, like, we need to play. We need to play the game. And he says, like, why? We need exports. Because a ship can only carry more, cannot carry more than two weeks supply of coal. So what does that mean then? I need ports all around the world. So like my ship, I can get places. And when I get there, I'm going to get a resupply of coal. Ideally, it's the cheapest price. And what, what other, what's the cheapest way to do it? Just like, this is my colony. So like, Sorry, Madagascar, you could try to charge me this much, but I'm just going to come in and like take it and I'm going to put a port here and like, you're not going to put a tariff on me. This is mine. I'm not saying coal grows in Madagascar. I'm saying the coal would be in Madagascar upon the ship's arrival, the vessel's arrival, whatever. Is he wrong? I like the not the historian in me is like well he's not wrong like the reason for the whole like the implications of it like yeah that's messed up but like the points he make you listen to that and you're like okay I wish it wasn't so like I wish Germany and England and the Americas or really the United States of America like wasn't doing this but they are 
And that's the reality of the game. And that's what I, and like in the beginning when I talked about the board game, like you can try to be Kumbaya, but there are wild cards. You got Mao, you got Hitler, and like to a less extent, you have what these countries are doing right now. They're not trying to like dominate the world and invade other European territories yet. <laughs> yeah. When is World War One? It's 1914. So, like, we're getting there. I wonder why. Because it's the same thing, and the next episode is going to be on Africa, and we're going to dive into, like, how bad they got screwed. But, like, to think, oh, it's Europe taking over the world. Like, Europe, yeah, they have what's called the Berlin Conference of 1884. And it's, um, I saw 13 or 14 European countries plus the United States coming together in Berlin. Um, and there's a cartoon where like they're all s slicing up a cake and the cake says Africa. The scramble for Africa is how it's also called. But these countries come together and pretty much establish like, okay, what are the rules? How can we or split up Africa for each other guess who wasn't there anyone from Africa so yeah they're kind of working together so like Europe as a single collective yes but they're also competing against one another their competition amongst themselves is driving it that's like when I said similar to Africa like Africa is incredibly diverse and has a lot of variety of culture it's not like someone's an african africa's huge absolutely huge it's not a country it's like saying like someone's a european like okay well are they german or italian and not only that like are they like bavarian you know like there's different types of germans i guess like subcultures in the United States, right? Like, that's Africa, too. That's everywhere. So, like, to say Africa got screwed over, like, well, Africa is its own thing, and that's what we're going to dive into next week. We talked about today the what and the why. What are they doing? Imperialism or colonial expansion. Why are they doing it? Because everyone else is doing it, and they want to win the game. And by what is winning the game, at least, it's ensuring that your society currently functions and continues to function and this seems to be like the long term looking into the crystal ball I'm like yo if we don't play we're going to be in trouble now let's look at the how because if you want to understand the world the way it is today and like why there are still nations that are not doing as well you should understand imperialism and then that'll also help us understand like neo-imperialism and what China's doing. And then the question is, do we play that game? Mm-mm-mm. Social studies, baby. Okay, that is it for me. The bell's ringing.